Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Mission Driven You. This is a podcast focused on mission-driven entrepreneurs and executives, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. My name is Will Sampson. I am a change coach and a social scientist, and I help guide mission-driven entrepreneurs and executives who want to do well and do good in the world. So thank you for joining today. I'm excited to host Brendan Kamarasamy. So Brendan is the founder of Master Talk, which is a YouTube channel focused on public speaking and communications, but he's also just an incredibly impressive individual who now helps guide executives and other individuals that are seeking to really up their communication game. We talked about the different ways that you can increase your communication, and we ended with some really hopeful thoughts on what um, communication could look like and how communication, better communication could change the world. So thanks for tuning in and let's get started. Well, welcome to the podcast, Brendan. It's great to be here, Will. Thanks for having me. And, um, you know, because we focus so much on the question of how we help each other succeed, I want you to go back into your story and tell us about a person or a group that really was the difference maker for you. When you look back on your history, you're like, wow, I, that person really, or that group really helped me get where I am. Who would that be for you? Absolutely. Great question to start us off. I, I mean, as you know, we can never get here on our own. As as right. your your dream gets bigger, the better the dream, the better the team. Uh, my business coach always tells me that. And he's also the person who's made, I would say, the most impact on my life besides my mother. And the reason is because when I started Master Talk, it was just an idea, Will. You know, I was making videos for fun right. in my mom's basement. I didn't think I could build a business in the back end. I was a technology consultant at IBM. That was going to be my focus. And when he met me at a personal development conference in Columbus, Ohio called Summit of Greatness, he listened to me talk for five or 10 minutes and he just looked at me and he said, why don't you charge executives $3,000 to work with you? And I looked at him and I was like, uh, dude, I'm like 23 years old. Who's going to pay me right. to do that? And then he gave me my first five or 10 clients. He really bet on me and believed in me in a way that I didn't really believe in myself. And there's no way I would be here without Vomsi Pulimetlo, who's the CEO and founder of Make More Leaders. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. And isn't that so true? We, I often say, even in my own experience, um, it was when other people invested belief in me that I was able to believe in myself and then give that back to, to the rest of the world. So I really love that story. Thank you for sharing it. Absolutely. So talk about the business because you, you have the pre privilege and the pleasure of really helping people learn how to speak, how to communicate in the world. How did the business come together? We, we heard a little bit of the origin story, but I'd love to hear more about it. A lot of the people listening are either entrepreneurs. They're people who I like to say are live at the intersection of doing well and doing good. And so they want to know, how do you bring your best game to, to speaking, to communications, to presenting in the world? For sure. Well, you know, for me, I'm a great example of what we call the made entrepreneur. So there's two types of entrepreneurs. I always like to say the born one and the made one. So born entrepreneurs are examples like Gary Vaynerchuk, who's pretty much from the womb. He always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Mark Cuban's another great example of that. I'm the complete opposite. I never actually wanted to be a business owner. My goal was to be an executive at a company. So when I went to business school, I studied the complete opposite of what I do today, which is accounting. And I graduated in it too. 
So for me, working for one of the big four accounting firms, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Deloitte, KPMG, UI was like my dream. So when I got to university, I learned about these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports for nerds. While the guys right. my age were playing basketball or rugby, I was doing presentations competitively. That's how I learned right. how to speak. But then, well, as I got older, I started coaching a lot of the students on how to communicate, not really because I was good at it, but because somebody needed to help the students get really good so that they would win competitions. And that's what sparked the idea for Master Talk. So it really just started as a hobby. I was just making videos on the side while I was working my day job. And then as the years went on, I, I gained a proficiency and a client base within the communication business. And I was able to scale a coaching business from there that I now do full time. I love that. And so would you say, is it fair to say that it's, um, it's something sort of deep inside of you? Does it, is there a sense of purpose in what you do? Absolutely. Well, you know, I think for me, where, where Master Rock has evolved to in my life is I really believe that I've been put on this earth to share this gift with the world, right? There's not really anyone before me who has tried to democratize the world's information about communication for those who can't afford a coach. Yeah, sure. There's a small group of people who will have direct access to me, but that won't be the vast majority of humanity. So right. I believe I'm the modern day Dale Carnegie. So when Dale was alive, there wasn't really any technology technological tools to capture his voice, to capture his image on a podcast or in a YouTube video. And I get the opportunity to do that in this lifetime. I love that. I love that. I love thinking, I love uh, imagining that I'm interviewing uh, today's version of Dale Carnegie because Carnegie's, you know, story was uh, again, like you trying to figure out how to communicate, trying to figure out how to, how to share this story with people. So I love that. What's, um, what gets you up in the morning? Like, what? Why do you, you know? I, I, I understand. I, he, I hear you talking about um, sort of changing and democratizing communication, but what? What? Uh, what really makes you excited about the clients you get to work with? Yeah, I would say for me, well, it's really about doing work that matters. I've always believed that if you're if you're a legitimate coach, I don't think everyone is 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 amazing in the industry, right. but for the people who this craft is for, you're really in the business of changing people's destinies, especially in in the work that I've done in the communication space, where it's pretty obvious if you're good or not, because if people aren't better communicators after you're done working with them, you're probably not that great of a coach. But but in the assumption that I am, I would say, you know, that the gift that I've I've had the pleasure of giving other people and also to myself, because I obviously invest in coaches for myself in my own growth, is really the idea of taking someone who doesn't even want to speak on a stage who goes, Oh, I don't have the confidence, I don't think I can scale this business through speaking, I'm really scared to talk to people, and turning them into a communication machine who's able to impact a bunch of people's lives is, is a real gift that I get to do every day. And I don't take that for granted. You know, I'm, I'm and definitely in the small group of people who gets to do what I love every day and get paid for it. And I definitely don't take that lightly. I love that. And who do you get to work with? Talk to us about your, your the kinds of clients you work with. Yeah, this is something I had a lot of trouble figuring out when I started Master Talk four or five years ago, because it's a very big difference, Will, between the person who watches your free content and the person who invests in coaching. That's a lesson I learned in the last few years. So somebody watches my free videos, let's say they watch 50 of my videos, the chances of them becoming a client is actually really, really low, because the reason they're investing all that time to watch 50, 75 videos is because they don't have the budget to afford a communication coach. 
So what I found is that the people who actually end up investing in me usually watch like one or two YouTube videos just for credibility's sake or a friend told them about me and then they hire me directly. So those are usually three groups of people. One is the entrepreneur slash CEO who's at least doing six figures in their business and they really want to take their game to the next level. So for that person, investing in a communication coach is a really good spend because they might spend a few thousand to make a lot more money in the back end and create a lot more impact for the lives they get to change on a podcast or in different mediums of communication or with their teams. That's one. The second archetype is the coach. So usually the coach is not a communication coach. It's a career coach, a business coach who's doing well in their, their business too, but there's a lot of pieces of communication that they're missing. So one example of that is they say a lot of ums and ahs whenever they lead webinars or trainings. So they don't give that illusion, that value, that energy of someone who's doing much better than where they currently are at. So that's number two. And then the final archetype is where most of my clients reside, probably 60 to 70%, which is the woman executive in the Fortune 500. So usually a lot of women who are executives at the VP level or above, the challenge they have is because it's a male-dominated field at that level of the hierarchy, they feel a lot of sense of insecurity and imposter syndrome, and they feel a lot more pressure to be perfect. And we always say in the boardroom, men get promoted on potential, unfortunately, and women get promoted on performance. So they're much more likely to invest in a coach that they're perfect and beat out everyone else in the boardroom. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. So I want to drill down on those three archetypes and I have one other that I'd like to talk about as well, but let's start with the entrepreneur. So an entrepreneur, entrepreneur comes to you. What typical issues are they working with? What are they struggling with in terms of communication? How does working with you help them do what they do? Yeah, I would say the first piece, Will, is demonstrating the urgency. So I feel what a lot of entrepreneurs are missing in their thought process, and that's very little to do with communication. It's more around strategy, frankly, is, is a simple question, but one they don't think about often enough, which is, as your business scales, are your communication skills scaling with the business? So as mm. your business scales, are your communication skills scaling with the business? What does that mean? So let's say you're an owner doing 100 grand to 150 grand a year, as an example. Usually between the 100, zero to three, 400 K mark, you could pretty much do everything on your own. And as an entrepreneur, you, right. there is a lot of pieces you need to, you need to be able to do yourself. Marketing, sales, delivery, ascension are the four key pillars of the value chain. But what happens is as the business scales, you can't do everything anymore. You have to prioritize on what you're really good at, delegate the rest. So if you're really good at delivery, you'll hire sales teams and they'll do the outbound and they'll do the cold calls and all that stuff for you. But now you're forced to create SOPs, standard operating procedures, and then you have to train what you used to do to other people. But if your communication skills, Will, aren't sharp at that level, you're going to create a lot of inefficiencies in the business where let's say you go up to an employee and you say, hey, I need you to do X. The employee gets confused. Oh, what do you mean this? What do you mean by that? And it creates a lot of confusion in the business. So by refining your communication skills, you're winning. The other piece to entrepreneurs is realizing that we're, we're trying to optimize for the end state, not the current state. So let's say you're an owner who's doing half a mil and you're trying to make $10 million a year. That's your goal. You need to ask yourself right now, am I communicating like a $10 million CEO? And the answer for most people is no, because we're always focused on the day-to-day, -day, not the future state of our business. 
Yeah. Yeah. And what do they need to, how do they need to learn to communicate? Like what are the different types of communication? Um, let's stick with the entrepreneur for now that, uh, that you really help them um, up level. Yeah, I think what's great, Will, is actually across all three archetypes, and I'm curious what the fourth one is that you had in mind as well. The, yeah. the answer is actually the same. Right. The, the, the tips, the order of mastery, the way that you go about the sequence is the exact same, except the reason and how that application is made is different. So I'll give you the example and then let's dive into the entrepreneur. So for the coach, it's wait a second. If you're not refining the way you're communicating on strategy calls, you're putting a lot of, you're leaving a lot of money on the table because you're not able to attract your ideal client on a webinar. So after you speak, they're not convinced they want to work with you because right. you don't sound yeah. super credible. That's one piece. The other piece is on strategy calls. If you don't know how to listen, pause, ask the right questions, you're not demonstrating expertise and credibility. You don't sound like a doctor. You sound more like a kid. So it hurts your conversions. When we're talking about the executive, I mean, if you want to get promoted to C-suite, I mean, C stands for confidence. It's the energy that you exude when you communicate. It's not that the CEO or the CFO is naturally smarter, except it's when they talk, other people want to follow them. So the executive who doesn't work on comms can't move up the the chain. And then, of course, the entrepreneur. It's just harder. It's not impossible. Elon Musk is a terrible communicator, but but it just reduces your odds of success, which you don't want in the business. And that's the urgency piece across all three. In terms of the tips, the way I think about it is communications like juggling 18 balls at the same time, Will. So one of those balls is... Removing Amzainaz, one of them is storytelling, one of them is body language. But if we try and juggle all 18, we'll miss the ball because all of them will fall. So for me, the question has always been, what are the three easiest balls to juggle? Let's just start with the first one. I'll throw it back to you, which is the random word exercise. Pick a random word like golf ball, like wife, like ceiling, like home. Create random presentations out of thin air for 60 seconds. And this really helps you deal with uncertainty. I love that exercise. So I was, uh, I was in forensics in college and uh, we had that competition where we were given a topic. We had a minute to come up with a three minute talk. That was one of the uh, areas I competed in. So I I really love that. I love that model of working with your clients. I think it's great. Um, yeah, the, the the fourth archetype I was thinking of, and maybe it's, it's this is some of this is coming out of my own experience because I work with a lot of people in the tech space, and so there's a lot of individuals who are either not traditional uh, English speakers, or they also they they come up in the engineering school. So you know, I I, I um, have adjuncted in the past at at uh, Purdue in the in the school of engineering, and I, I sometimes joke that I teach engineers how to talk human. <laughs> So, so I guess the archetype that I was interested in as well, I'd love to sort of bring them to you as an, as this sort of ideal client is, um, you know, that senior web architect or the, uh, the enterprise architect who wants to move up, they want to become the CIO or the CTO and eventually the CEO. What, how would you work with them? What kinds of uh, things might you help them with? For sure. Will. so you're absolutely right. So a lot of my initial clients when I got started and, and still as a small fragment is in the tech space. So I'll add more granularity since that's the, since that's the archetype you want to focus on. The reason is exactly to your point. In engineering school, a lot of developers, architects, 
the lessons are never focused on the human side or the business side of the org. It's really focused on the technical details of how you execute the implementation, how you debug the system. And that's okay for the first three or four levels of one's career. So what we find with a lot of technical talent, as you probably know, given your profession in the space as well, is they get promoted a lot based on the deliverables that they're putting out into the world. Okay, I need you to code this. Maybe if they become a senior developer, they're, they're leading two or three people. Depends on the org, obviously. But then there comes a moment where they hit their managerial position. And oftentimes that managerial position is given be- to the to that technical talent because of the deliverables that they're presenting, not necessarily because they have the capabilities to lead teams. And yeah. the challenge there is that they kind of get slapped in the face. They realize that 80% of the job, 90% of the job at the managerial VP of engineering, director of engineering, right? C- CTO, CISO, chief information security officer, all those levels is all people management. Right. And they're mm-hmm. not trained on how to do that. So you are right. I do train a lot of middle managers, specifically in the tech space, on how to get to VP. I think what I found, though, just this is more of a side note, the reason I'm not working with them as much as I used to is because it's really hard to convince them to even invest in communication coaching. So, of course, from my experience at IBM, they're one of my clients. So, yeah, I train a lot of their executives. But I don't get a lot of outbound from that tech space because I feel a lot of them want to stay in the entry-level roles. There's only a small percentage of them that say, I really want to be a CTO someday. And you're correct. Those people I definitely work with. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now I wonder your background in accounting, your wonder with uh, your, your background with uh, big four consulting, um, big four accounting. um, I wonder if though you see some similarities, you know, so many uh, people who come up, particularly in the financial services space, they learn to see the whole world and they learn to even communicate in terms of time, scope and money. But really putting things in human frameworks is also a challenge. So do you see that in working even with executives? For sure, Will. I would say the biggest thing that's that's missing in that specific realm, whether it's FS, financial services, or tech, is really injecting energy and enthusiasm in the mundane. So that's so a good example is let's say in the tech space, there's a lot of scrum meetings. Whereas it's really easy to stand out as a project manager or as a technical lead. Or some an exec or a DP, right? A delivery partner. If you just add a little bit more enthusiasm, you remove your ums and ahs, you change your fo- facial expressions. That's why I always say, if you communicate twenty percent better than your competition, you will stand out a hundred percent at the time. That's one piece. On the accounting side, I completely agree as well. You know, a lot of them are very savvy with their numbers. They're just really boring to listen to whenever they talk, whenever they communicate ideas. So, right. so they'll get the tax reports done, but it's really hard for that person to generate business. And I think that's the big difference between, let's say, a partner in an accounting firm, a senior manager at, let's say, a Deloitte or a PwC versus someone who's below manager is that they can't do business development. And you need to be able to do business development as an accountant if you want to move up to the top of the field, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, let's dive down now more into some of the specific tasks and some of the specific ways you help, because one of my first questions, one of the first things I hope you, you help your clients do is work on presentation skills. It, you know, 30 plus years in corporate life, I've seen more PowerPoint than I ever, <laughs> ever want to see. Like, how do you help clients find the capacity to 
to present well? And, and what is what are the all the elements of, of presenting well? For sure, Will. So here's the way I get, I get started. I, I think a big one, since you're focusing a lot more on the corporate environment, is it's about making it fun. Yeah. Okay, you don't you don't need to put a picture of a banana or anything on your slides, but it's about how do we make the training, the process of communication mastery, really exciting for oneself. That's why for me, the first ball, fourth ball is presentation skills. But let's just tackle the other three while we're at it, and then we'll jump into presentations. Is really starting with the random word exercise. Why is this so effective in the boardroom? Very simple, because if you can talk about nonsense, you could talk about anything. So if you do, let's say, avocado toast for 60 seconds, you right. do right. earphone, headset, wife, when you go back into your, your corporate board, especially in the tech world, you're doing the same deliverable over and over and over again. Sure, tech, some of the tech might change, but if you're doing like massive scale implementations, like it's the same thing over right. and over again. So what happens is in that context – when you're able to do the random word exercise, you're essentially practicing the harder thing so that the scrum yeah. meeting is a joke. So that's one piece. The second exercise is the question drill, Will. We get asked questions all the time, boardrooms, right. family, work, school, but most of us are reactive to those questions. We're not proactive. So let me give you a super simple example. When I got started guesting on a podcast or even starting my career at IBM when I was an, an entry-level consultant, there was a lot of things I didn't have the answer to and I wasn't prepared well enough to answer those client questions. I'll give you a funny one from podcasting when I started a few years ago. Somebody asked me where the fear of communication comes from. And I looked at him and I said, uh, I don't know, man, Los Angeles, like London, you tell me. Like, I don't know. Right? So. Right. <laughs> So I was clearly lost. So what yeah. did I do? Every single day for five minutes, that's all I ask. Answer one question that you think the world will ask you about your expertise, your products, or your services. Just do that every day. If you do that for five minutes for a year, you'll have answered 365 questions about your industry. You'll be bulletproof. Right. And then the last tip is just send video messages to the people that you love or to colleagues at work showing your appreciation for them. Interesting. Interesting. So do you get into uh, some of the technology elements? And because because I know, you know, there's, you know, we're, we're no longer just listening, just looking at uh, text and calls. Do you talk? To, do you work with your clients on helping them understand the full range of, you know, WhatsApp and Telegram and, and all the different options that are available for communication? Yeah, so I would say, you know, our training is not really platform specific in the sense like this is what you do on Facebook, this is what you do on WhatsApp. It's more about saying what is the universal set of principles that we can then reapply back into the boardroom. So let me give you an example. Across yeah. all three archetypes, the coach, the entrepreneur, and the executive, whether they're in tech or any other industry, which is saying, wait a second, if you do the random word exercise, if somebody forces you to do it, of course, do it on your own if you're able to, but if you can pay for the accountability, a coach just gets you there faster. But the point is, is if you can do the random word exercise 200 times, whether you're a coach, whether you're an executive or an entrepreneur, you're just going to be way better when you go back on the field. So when you right. practice on the side and you go back into the field, it's really easy. Question drills too. My goodness, my, my sales calls are a joke, Will. But it's not because Brendan's special or Brendan's super cool right. or anything. It's because when you've done the question drill 
a thousand times. There isn't a question that an executive would ask me, even if it's super nuanced, that I wouldn't know the answer to because I've done the work. And all it takes to do the work is five minutes a day. Same thing with video messages, especially if you're a business owner. I just did this in December. I put a stupid Santa hat on that I bought for $5 <laughs> on Amazon or right, 10 Right. Yeah. And I sent 70 video messages to my top 70 accounts, just wishing them happy holidays. And guess what? I'm going to be signing three clients from just sending 70 video messages because nobody right. does it. That's why I always say, Will, if we communicate 20% better than our competition and 20% doesn't mean take over the world, it means doing the random word exercise a little bit, doing the yeah. question drills a little bit, doing the video messages a little bit. I haven't met a single human being in my life who either knows all three or does all three consistently. You will stand out 100% of the time. I love that. I love that. You know, one of the quotes on my wall is from Aristotle. He says, we are what we repeatedly do. And I like this idea of just a series of small things people can do every day because, boy, and especially at this time of year, now that, um, you know, people are thinking, well, it's the, or it's, it's the new year. Send me $199 and I'll teach you this or, or take this course and all that. It just seems like we're awash in all this information that all these big ideas on how to fix our communication. And what you're saying is it's, it's a series of just small steps. Absolutely. And that's the mission, I right? I wanted to oversimplify this so that anyone, anyone who's listening, even if they're a five-year-old kid, if they're listening to this, right. they go, okay, random word exercise, pick a word like wall, give a presentation, question drill, yeah. make a list of questions or better go to the people you need to speak to and have them give you a bunch of questions. Like we're practicing the questions right now because you're asking me about questions and I'm answering right. them. And right. then the third piece is just take out your phone and send your niece, your nephew, your cousin, your sister, your brother, your best friend, your best clients, a 20-second video message just saying how much right. you appreciate having them in your life. Those little things definitely go a long way. I love that. I love that. I want to go back to your third archetype, which is the women executive. And I kind of want to, I want to spend a little bit more time talking about that and, and why that is a particular, uh, why that is a group that that you are really able to help? Like what's, what's driving that and, and how are those are the needs of that individual group different than maybe the, the rest of your clientele? For sure. Well, nobody really asked me about this. So fascinating question. Here, here's what I would say. And this was not intentional by any means, Will. Right. A lot of what I figured out here, I sound really clean on the, on the back end. These are my three archetypes is the percentage on each, though I'm sure I'm, I'm misquoting some of the numbers by five or 10% difference here. But, but I think the point is the advice for business owners. And then let's jump into women executives and why I was successful in that niche is really you have to try a bunch of different demographics and see what's working and why it's working or why it isn't. You got to test versus like saying consulting, you know, we give PowerPoints, we give presentations, but a lot of the times you don't really know it's like data driven, but is it implementation driven? So like in this case, I tried students, students were great, but they didn't have any money. Then I went to founders and startup CEOs who are trying to raise money. So they're raising like $300,000 rounds. Still wouldn't invest. Why? Because they hadn't raised a dollar yet. So it was only after they raised money that they would invest in coaches. So that didn't work either. It's early stage. Entrepreneurial groups kind of worked, didn't work. But and the reason it kind of worked was, yeah, I would get a few clients, but most of them are just trying to sell to each other. So it wasn't, it wasn't that great. It was a little bit more, the, the energy wasn't there. 
and and then coaches too. Coaches, I found some success. That's why it's probably fifteen percent of my client base. But still, coaches are already try, always trying to sell each other. Not everyone is invested right. in the group, and honestly, most of them are broke, so it doesn't really work either. Whereas the woman executive is so good, or executives in general. But the reason women executives are the perfect clientele is I'll tell you why. Number one, word of mouth spreads way faster. So the problem I've had with my amazing men clients, amazing by the way, like uh, one of my first ever clients when I was 23 was like the CFO of a massive company. He bought all my programs, one of the best action takers on the planet. He got great results. I even coached his kids kind of just as a value add to him and his family. But he hasn't told a soul about me. Why? Because men have a lot of insecurity around hiring coaches. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Right? And and there's exceptions. Don't get me wrong. There's right. definitely exceptions. This is like there's 20, 30 percent who always share my work, all that stuff. And the other challenge with coaching men, not to say I don't like men, I coach a lot of them as well, is that they don't have as many emotional touch points with their peer group. So I'll give you an example. Let's say we if you're a man listening to this, think about all of your best friends, your top five best friends. How many times do you text them every month? Is it daily? Is it every few days? What you'll find, and you know this as a man will, is right. the number isn't that high. Right. Some people, you probably have seen, you haven't seen, some of my friends I haven't seen in six months, never text them once, right. and then we get dinner randomly. But if you ask women the same question, they're always talking to their girlfriends every single day, almost, because they're a lot smarter about the emotional support, and they're super open about the coaches that they're hiring. They're very open about the people that they work with. So they spread word of mouth much faster. And the pain is also greater with women. So when I get on a call with the women, I don't have to convince them. If they need communication coaching, they say, my girlfriend told told me about you. You're great. How do I sign right. up? Men are like, ah, oh, should I really invest in this? So, so yeah, that's what I found from experience. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if it's also true that men are not only... Uh, less uh, likely to hire a coach, but they're also less likely to kind of admit that they've had a coach. You know, there's this, there's this idea. I mean, the, the, the myth of the self-made person, I think is far more prevalent in men than it is in women. Women, at least uh, of the clients that I have are, uh, that are women are more likely to share. They find it really easy to share the stories of the people who help get them there. Men often struggle more with that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why one of my predictions in my lifetime, because I'm pretty early in my career and I'm grateful that I've had the success. I, I think women in my lifetime are going to dominate the C-suite. And the reason is yeah. because they're a lot more open to growth. They're outpacing men two to one in college graduates based on Scott Galloway's data. And they're a lot more open about when they're receiving help. And they're also open to sharing that help. So yeah, men got to get it together because they're just as bad as communicators. They just don't feel that pain because they keep getting promoted on potential. Whereas the woman is literally stuck in the field if they don't work on their communication. So I, I believe they're going to outpace men at the next you know, a few decades. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, for those of you listening, if you didn't pick up on the reference to that book by Scott Galloway, every data geek needs to own Scott Galloway's book. Um, and the name of it escapes me right now, but I, I, I just, uh, I've been perusing it just at, like a, it's a look at a hundred different, I think it's a hundred different data points that define the world we live in. Um, and uh, yeah, I agree. And I, I think it's also true that the, the, changing conditions of the workforce 
make uh, feminine models of management. And I don't say that gen- from a gender perspective, they make them, it makes more sense. I mean, you know, some of the clients that some of the corporate clients I work with are dealing with things like, um, you know, um, how are we going to let people work at home? You know, how are we going to, how are we going to bring people back into the office? How are we going to engage people? And that the more collaborative view that often comes with a feminine view of management, I think is more like is, is better suited to the world we live in, to the time we live in. So I love that. So what are some of the, if there, if you could sort of advise people on a, on a sort of a big picture level, what are some of the three to five things that beyond the, beyond the exercises that you've given us where you see a lot of mis- people making a lot of mistakes in terms of the way they communicate in the world. Absolutely, Will. So I'd say beyond the three exercises and the whole idea of consistency, because the challenge really is nobody listening to this podcast, maybe 1% of people listening, are actually booking 15 minutes in their calendar every day to do the random right. word exercise for five minutes, right. to right. do one question drill for five minutes to send three video messages to people that they love, which only takes five minutes. It's that consistency, right? Alex Hermosi says it best. It's not about doing the extraordinary things in life, but rather the ordinary things for an extraordinary period of time. And that's really the magic of doing that consistently. So now moving forward here, because I think the number one mistake really is consistency, is that now let's move into the ball number five. So ball number four is just speak a lot, practice, book in your calendar. Right. Ball number five is a strategy I teach called the puzzle method. So puzzle method just means this well. Communication is like a jigsaw puzzle. Those little toy puzzles you used to do as kids. And now the question becomes, when we work on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do we start with first? And the answer is the edges, the corners. And the reason is because they're easier to find in the box and they're easier to put together. So why am I bringing this up? The reason I'm bringing this up is because in communication, unfortunately, we do the opposite. So we go into a boardroom, we start with the middle first, we shove a bunch of content in our presentation, shove, 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 shove. We get to the presentation and we ramble throughout the whole thing and the last slide sounds something like this. Uh, yeah, so um, thanks, not the right approach. So instead, what we want to do <laughs> right, is, is to apply puzzle, which is start with the edges first. Start with the corners. Do the introduction, just the speech intro, which is two minutes, 25 times. 25 yeah. times seems like a massive number. It really isn't because two minutes is like 50 minutes. It'll take you an hour to do it 25 times. Same right. thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. Do the same thing with the close. And then tackle the middle. And that's how you practice a lot more efficiently for any presentation you have coming up. I love that approach. That's so helpful. Thank you. I want to go back to a comment you made earlier, which I know you weren't trying to uh, offer your professional opinion, but I I want to drill down on it a little bit and then ask a follow-up question, which is the whole idea of broke coaches. And there are what people, if you want to, you know, if, if you have a coach that's authentic, they're going to they're going to be honest with you about how much they're actually booking because the reality is most coaches don't really book a whole lot of business. The question that comes out of that for me Brendan is how do you um how do you personally Brendan stand above the fray? Like what do you what do you feel like are the distinctives that you bring as you build your business as you seek out clients 
that that really help you not be yet another pop-up ad on Facebook or yet another, you know, just just clickbait ad out there in in the world of social media. How do you how do you show up authentically and distinguish yourself? For sure. Well, so let me let me start with this disclaimer because I don't get asked this question, so I want to make sure I'm I'm treading on on ice here. So I'm not a multimillionaire by any means. I'm not doing like ten right. million dollars a year in my business, but I'm definitely not doing a thousand dollars a year either. So I'm definitely in that six figure range. Let's put it that way. So so take that advice for what it's worth because I'm still learning and growing as well. Here here's what I would say. I think the biggest reason why I've been able to build a six-figure practice relative to my age, right? Because I'm currently 26 and most of my clientele is 20 years older than me. So why in the world do A, they trust me with their transformation and B, how in the world did I get them to, to convince them to work with me? One, I have coaches. Vomsi is the best. I'm super grateful. Word of mouth has been a big driver of my business because what's great about coaching which is principle one, is if you do really good work, I'm talking really good work, you really deliver the results, it will spread. Like That's why I love guesting on a podcast because you, you can question me on anything and now we get to find out if I'm worth my small turn or not because now you ask me a lot of nuanced questions, right? So these are the types of shows, Will, where the host doesn't doesn't have like a script that they stick to and really is doing this to add value to the audience, but in, indirectly either helping or hindering the guest. Helping because yes. if that person is really is knows what they're talking about, like hopefully right. I'm convincing you that I do. You're like, you okay, you're, right? you're like, okay, this guy's like 25, 26 years, but he really understands what's happening in the C suite. I can real that's which is really odd because right. a lot of my clients go like, how do you know so much? You know the C suite better than I do. How does this make any <laughs> sense? Right. So so that obviously took a right. lot of studying and homework. But it's also a hindrance because if you ask me a really nuanced question and I don't answer it correctly, then you question the expertise. So anyways, so given that, a couple of thoughts. One, what I like about this business the most is that the most generous person wins if you play that generosity correctly right? So even if there's other communication coaches who are much older than me, of a lot more clients than me, just because they've had more time in the market, right? They're in their fifties and sixties. Sure. They don't provide the same value that the, that I do publicly for free, right? So a lot of those communication coaches, they have a lot of word of mouth. They don't come on podcasts that much. They don't post on LinkedIn every day. They don't post on YouTube every day. So they're not emanating a personal brand because they're lazy. They're already making good money. And I never started Mass Talk to make money. I did it to help people and it just turned into a business by accident. That's one. I, I think I'm one of the most generous coaches in the industry currently. The other piece is is which ties into that principle is show me, don't tell me. So what that means yeah. is uh, for me, when I was building my book, or which I still do today, is I do a free workshop every two weeks on communication. So a lot of the people who are interested in my services, I never try and close them up front, unlike other coaches in my in any industry, because I don't need the money. I just go, why don't you come to my free training and see if I'm worth my salt? And then they go there, and my mindset at that training, because we don't pitch at that training either, is to make it obvious at the end of the call that I'm the best in the world at what I do or relative to yeah. the people they're considering. And the third piece, which is still ties into the first two themes, is really about mastering the strategy call and being able to deliver value upfront really aggressively. So when I was when I was zero to 100K and I, I was meeting a lot of executives, 
because a lot of my first clients, the reason they worked with me when I didn't have a name was because they were burnt by previous communication coach and they still hadn't gotten the result. So my offer to them was really simple. I'll coach you for free. No strings attached, no credit card. I'll give you two, three free sessions. And if you get results, then we talk about payment. So all of them, you, it's an offer you can't refuse. It's like, why wouldn't I? And that's how I, I got C-Suite to buy into me really quickly. And then after that, it's just word of mouth. Like today, I think my, my January group, 80 to 90% of the group was word of mouth now. So so now things have panned out that's well. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. And I uh, I love that you give that uh, that free webinar or free workshop every other week. And and uh, we'll put a uh, we'll put a link to that uh, if that's okay with you in the show notes so people can connect with you and find you that way. Um, we're going to close with one question, and and this will really uh, hope maybe test your ability. Although you're you're so good at, at answering these questions, but but I want to ask it's this question I started asking guests because guests usually bring something to the world. That's why they're there. That's why you're here talking to me. You're here talking to me because. You help people communicate and show up as their best self. Uh, uh, I, I interviewed a sales coach, uh, which will be on in a couple weeks. He's really helping demystify the sales process and make it authentic and human again. And I've, I've started asking this question because I think like you, you know, I share this vision that I can democratize and, and help the world. Like I, um, there's a great book by Ari Wallach called Long Path, and it's about becoming a better ancestor, leaving a better world behind when you shuffle off this mortal coil to use the old language, old Shakespeare's language. Um, so here's the question, the big question. Let's imagine people are listening to this today, world leaders, uh, CEO, very influential CEOs, and they get really captivated by your, by Brendan's idea of how to communicate well and how to really share your vision for the world. I want you to think 15 to 20 years down the line, like how could the world be better? How could it be more whole? How could it be more, more uh, democratic and egalitarian? Like what, if people really caught this vision of being better communicators, how would that help heal the world? For sure, Will. Great question. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the answer through a story. So the story is this. I was watching a video in 2014 about a woman named Taylor Swift that we all know, like, and love, right? The musician. She wins an award called Woman of the Year by a music company called Billboard. And she looks at the audience in 2014 and says, your future Woman of the Year is 12 years old right now. She wants to learn how to sing. She's in piano. She's in choir. And her dream is to be a, a singer. And we need to take care of her. And then what happens is the video flash forwards six years into the future and Billie Eilish becomes the youngest inductee in Billboard's history to win Woman of the Year. And then she gets up on the stage. She's got a big bulky jacket, her big glasses on. She looks at the crowd and goes, uh, hi everyone. I don't know. I won this award. And then she keeps babbling. And then the last 30 seconds completely changes my life. She looks at the crowd and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was watching Taylor Swift's speech in 2014, and I was 12 years old. And I had big <laughs> dreams to be a singer. I had big dreams right. to be in a choir. I want to be this big star, and you all took care of me, so thank you. And the reason I tell you this story is when I heard it, it really reminded me of the next Elon Musk. Because when Elon Musk was 12, 13 years old, nobody cared about him. He was just some kid in South Africa. He was being abused by his dad. Nobody sat him down once and said, hey, 
you're going to be a superstar someday. You should probably get coached on your communication. And nobody did that. And then I thought about the next Elon, because the next Elon Musk is probably some 10-year-old girl in Cambodia who also can't afford a communication coach. So for me, the thesis behind what I do, Will, is very simple. Empower every genius of our society that is ever going to live to grow up becoming exceptional communicators. Because if they learn that skill faster, they can execute their businesses, their visions, their missions, their ideas a lot faster, and it'll accelerate the progress of the human race. And the other piece for the rest of us who don't want to be Elon Musk Communication impacts every area of our life. It's the way we talk to our family, the way we raise our children, the way we order food at a restaurant. So if we learn how to communicate boundaries, we learn how to speak more effectively, it will improve the quality of our life. And that's why I always like to end with, how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Think about that. I... I want to live in that world, Brendan. So th thank you for sharing that. Brendan Kamarasamy, this, Kamarasamy, this was a great interview. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your presence, and for what you do in the world. Thank you. The pleasure was absolutely mine, Will. Thanks for creating the amazing space that you have today.